At Old Mutual Wealth, we believe that working with a financial planner is an important step in any individual's financial journey. A financial plan helps you to take control of your future and provides a map to help you achieve your goals. That's why we do everything we can to help you to get the maximum out of the financial planning process, including having the right conversation with your planner. In this series, we ask and answer some hard questions you should ask your financial planner and some you should definitely ask yourself. We hope listening to these conversations will prompt a richer, meaningful financial conversation with your planner and help you take your wealth further. Olwetu Masanabo is a financial planning coach at Old Mutual Wealth. Great to have you on the podcast, Olwetu. Uh, joining Old Mutual Wealth as a financial planning coach from January 2017 and been working there for over 11 years. I'm looking forward to an, an interesting conversation all the way to about achieving financial goals. Uh, you're immersed in this every single day, aren't you? Yes, I am, Ian. I am immersed in this every single day. I've been working in the industry for over 11 years. So let's start by answering the question whether I'm getting in the way of achieving my financial goals. Yo, this is a big one to unpack. How do we sabotage ourselves in, in, in terms of getting to the destination that we want to with our financial goals? So Ian, I think the best way to start is to start with a discussion around behavioral finance. So behavioral finance proposes that psychological influences and cognitive biases affects the financial behaviors of investors and ultimately whether they achieve their goals or not. Okay, let's back up. Uh, cognitive biases, those are big words. Give us some examples of that so we can, we can grasp what you're talking about. So cognitive biases, they can be described as errors in our thinking when we are processing information that affects the decisions that we make. Some examples of cognitive biases mm. that I can give you is the first one I can give you is overconfidence. Okay, so overconfidence is when an investor places too much confidence in their ability to predict the outcomes of their investment decisions. And then the second one is anchoring. So anchoring is related to overconfidence. And it's when an investor makes their initial investment decisions based on the information available to them at the time, but then they don't change their forecast when new information becomes available to them. So instead of conducting a new analysis altogether, they just revise their old analysis. Hmm. Then the third one that we can talk about is representativeness. And this is when an investor incorrectly thinks one thing means something else. They assume that a company's previous good results means that current and future results will be good too, just based on what happened in the past. Then the fourth one is loss aversion. Um, loss aversion is also the reluctance to accept a loss. So this behavior is similar to the gambler who makes a series of larger bets in hopes of breaking even. So I think that's those are the examples that I can give you. Olwetu, this is a very difficult one to extract your emotions from planning. Because honestly, when you lose something, you have an emotion. When you gain something, you have an emotion. It's natural human behavior. So as investors, then, how are we affected by these emotions going forward, making critical decisions in our financial planning future? I think it's very critical that I start by first explaining how traditional financial planning does not take investors' emotions into consideration. Okay. okay. So 
traditional financial planning assumes that as human beings and investors, we, A, are perfectly rational all the time, B, we care about utilitarian characteristics all the time, C, we have perfect self-control all the time, and D, we are not confused by cognitive <laughs> errors or all the information readily available. So traditional financial planning does not take into account the nervousness we feel in our gut when we realize our investment is dropping in value or the sense of loss and worry that we experience mm. when we realize we have missed out on a big investment opportunity. Uh, these emotional responses to movements in the market are normal as we are wired to see things and respond instinctively to them in order to move from feeling unsafe to feeling safe, even though a quick response is often not the best choice. So this is particularly true when it comes to investing. So which then brings me to behavioral finance. So behavioral finance is a study which investigates the psychological influences and biases affecting the financial behaviors of investors and provides investors with an understanding and awareness of some of these behaviors which erode values in one's investment portfolio. Okay. It began largely as a result of a theory proposed by the Nobel Prize winning psychologist and economist Daniel Kahneman and psychologist Amos Tversky. So in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman states that you are more likely to learn something by finding surprises in your own behavior than by hearing surprising facts about people in general. So as human beings, you know, being emotional beings, we tend to get emotionally attached to our investments. This attachment results in some behavioral patterns that are inherently part of the human condition. As a result, investors are more likely to make decisions that will provide emotional comfort rather than focus on achieving their investment goals. So because the human brain is exposed to around 18 million bits of information every second, but our processing power is only limited to around 120 bits of information per second, we then have to filter information in our brains. We probably believe that we are being rational most of the mm. time, but the majority of our thinking actually happens automatically or by instinct. You know, we're not aware of it. And this is supported by a study that was done by Neil and Co. in 2006, where they found that 47% of daily activities are habitual, as in they happen subconsciously. They are based on emotions that are buried deep in our subconscious. What happens if a financial planner gives advice and uh, that advice contains long-term investments? Because really, to watch fluctuations with investments guided by external circumstances like particularly COVID-19 as a great example, uh, what happens when a financial planner says, no, no, we're going to hang on to this for the next 15 to 20 years? Surely then you take that uh, behavior and that emotion out of the investment and really just let time do its thing. So, no, Ian. So I, I wouldn't say you actually take emotion out of it because you can't take emotion out of it. But what, what the advisor, the financial advisor actually needs to do is they need to manage the emotions of the investor. Theirs, their job is to manage the emotions and also to educate the investor about these emotions that they are likely to experience. So if you are able to educate them and manage the expectations upfront, it becomes an easier journey in that 10 to 20 year journey because the emotions will come. It's just a matter of managing them. 
then really the conversation swings back to human contact and advice being given on a regular basis where you're able to pick up the phone to your advisor and say, hey, hey, I've seen this has happened or this this has happened or different things have happened. And now I'm feeling incredibly nervous as to what we discussed in the past. Uh, that contact should be made fairly often. Am I right? Certainly, certainly. Um, financial advice is a long-term personal relationship because financial advice is actually more personal than it is financial. So it is imperative for the relationship to be an ongoing close relationship between financial advisor and client. What happens when the client decides that they know better than the financial advisor? That's an awkward conversation to have. (laughs) It is an awkward conversation to have. But what you'd most likely do as the financial advisor is to ask the client questions so that they themselves get to the understanding that they are, in fact, not the expert in this um, field. So the financial advisor must not get emotional about it, but they just need to lead the client to where they realize that the expert in the room is this person. But also not disregard what the client um, has to say, because ultimately the financial plan does belong to the client. Yes. Yes. So it does need to be a co-creation. So there needs to be agreement between the two. Oh, what's a final question for you then? How often should this financial plan be updated? I mean, that question is asking how long is a piece of string? And it it largely depends on the the client. Um, Some clients are more, more than comfortable with having it updated on a yearly basis, but some are more comfortable having updated it biannually or once every quarter even. So it really depends on the on the client. Talking financial planning, interesting points that you raised there, Alwetu. Thank you. That's, uh, that's given us a bit more of a global view as to exactly what we should be doing and not relying on our emotions as much as the sage advice of somebody from Old Mutual Wealth in the financial planning area. Alwetu Masanabo, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. It's great to have chatted to you. Thank you, Ian. The key to any successful financial plan lies in receiving good financial advice. At Old Mutual Wealth, we work with financial planners that know this and truly partner with you to help you make the right choices. If you don't have a financial planner, choosing one may well be the most important step you take. Visit us at oldmutual.co.za forward slash hard questions.